Let's turn to our Bibles and turn to Joshua. Something in this story also gives us about, uh, information about what God has been doing even before Joshua was asking. Joshua chapter 6, verses 15 through 18, as we continue to learn more about Joshua. But it came to pass in the seventh day that they rose early, about the dawning of the day, and they marched around seven times in the manner, in the same manner. On that day they marched around the city seven times. And the seventh time it happened, when the priests blew the trumpets, that Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to its destruction, it and all who are in it. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all that are with her in her house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And you, by all means, abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take the accursed things and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. May the Lord add his blessing as we continue to learn a little more about Joshua. And they completely destroyed everything in it with their swords. Men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, goats, and donkeys. This is God. This is the God who loves everyone. This is the God who wants no one to perish. Look there, verses 17 and 18. Now the city will be doomed by the Lord to destruction. It and all who are in it. Only Rahab and the harlot shall live, and she and all who are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And you, by all means, keep yourselves from the accursed thing. Another version says, don't touch anything that is under the ban. God had made a ban that nobody should take anything from Jericho. Don't take from the accursed thing, lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. Basically, God was telling the people of Israel that everything connected to Jericho was forbidden fruit. Have we ever heard that term, forbidden fruit? Some say forbidden fruit tastes the best. <laughs> well, where do you suppose that, that uh, phrase originated from? Okay, the Garden of Eden. What was the forbidden fruit? What was it? It was from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God had said you may eat of how many fruits in the garden? All of the other fruits of the trees of the garden except how many? Just one. And that one was the accursed thing. Because if you eat of it, what will happen? 
he will die. So was God being controlling or was he being protecting? He claimed to be protecting, didn't he? He said, I don't want you to die. I don't want you to die. He was being protecting. You see, God is good and wise how much of the time? All the time. He was being good and wise in the Garden of Eden when he said, don't eat from the tree. Don't, don't get involved with that tree. Now, why that tree? Was there something in the chemicals of the fruit? What was it? Pardon? Principle. There was a principle involved. What principle? What, what was going on at that tree? What was allowed at that tree? How many places could Satan go in the garden? Only that place. So that would be the place where Satan could do what to Adam and Eve? Tempt them and deceive them. Because we're told later that Eve fell because she was deceived. That was the only place where they could be led astray. So God said what? Leave it alone. Don't get involved with that. And now he says it with Jericho. God was saying it with Jericho. If God is good, wise, and wise all the time, then why was he leading Jericho, le leading Joshua and the people of Israel to Jericho and all of the promised land? Jericho was just the first place for them to conquer after they crossed the Jordan. Why was he leading them to a place where there's a lot of people? Why didn't he lead them into a place where there weren't any people? Why didn't he just keep them out in the wilderness and turn the wilderness into a beautiful garden with lots of food and everything wonderful? And could God do such a thing with a wilderness? Yeah. Or, or he could lead them down into the jungles of Africa where there weren't any people and carve out a piece of the land from the jungle and make it prosperous and wonderful and there would be nobody around to bother them. I mean, it would be like, it would be wonderful. It would be like a fantastic monastery. Does God believe in monasteries? You get away from it all. Don't be affected by anybody and don't bother anybody. Just be all by yourself and just you and God. That's great. Isn't that, isn't that what God wants? Why not? It leaves out everybody, everybody else from what? Yes. So God wanted to work with the Israel with Israel to reach the world. And the Canaanites were in this place. But why not give the Canaanites a chance? I mean, just go in and destroy them all? What happened in Jericho was supposed to be a pattern of what they would do throughout the whole land of Israel, the whole area, from one town to another. All those fortified cities we studied about before. And they would trust the Lord and he would make the walls come down and he would get the victory for them and they would kill everybody. That was the supposed to be the path. Why not give the Canaanites a chance? Or had he given them a chance? Had he given them a chance? 
God sent a missionary to the Canaanites. Did you know that? Over 400 years before this, God sent a missionary to the Canaanites. Who knows who it was? It was Abraham. Abraham was the one person, apparently, in the whole world who was really listening to God at that time. And God was talking to Abraham and promising him things and leading him from one experience to another, growing his faith. And Abraham was right there. He brought, he brought Abraham from the Ur of the Chaldees, which is where Babylon was, all the way around and over down into this area of Canaan. And I'm going to use the word Canaanites instead of Jerichoites because Jericho was part of Canaan. So it was, they represented all the Canaanites. So he brings them over to the Canaanites. Now that's about as far as from here to Miami. From Babylon over to, to the Canaanites. That's a, that's a ways to go. But God brought him all the way over there to the Canaanites, and the Canaanites got acquainted with Abraham. Can anybody tell me what happened between Abraham and the Canaanites? Is there anything that, that impressed the Canaanites? What, what, who saved what? All right, some enemies came and grabbed a whole bunch of the Canaanites and took them off with Lot and his family among them. And what did Abraham do? He went after them with all of his servants. And God blessed Abraham and the servants. And were they, were they able to conquer that enemy? Completely. And they brought back safe and sound all the Canaanites back to their homeland. Would that impress them? Sure. And their stuff too. That's right. Even their belongings were returned to them. God was trying to reach the Canaanites through that whole experience. What else happened with Abraham that would impress the Canaanites? Well, was he poor or rich? He was rich. Why? God was blessing him. They saw God's blessing on Abraham. What else? He interceded for Sodom and Gomorrah. I don't know if the Canaanites heard about that. Maybe. Something else they would have heard about. He made a couple of mistakes when he went down into Egypt two times during famines. I imagine the Canaanites heard about what happened in Egypt, if you remember those stories, because they were pretty dramatic. But something else that was very positive. Think of a big, important event in Abraham's life. Well, before that, he got a son. How? Well, Hagar and Ishmael, that's a different part of the story. All right, how old was he? And how old was Sarah? 90. Here's a 90-year-old woman who's never had a child in her life, and she has a child. Do you suppose the Canaanites heard about it? Sure, that kind of thing goes all around. Everybody was hearing about that. And then he's told to sacrifice him. Now, do you suppose the Canaanites were involved in child sacrifices? That was a common thing that was around there. But did the God of Abraham have him go through with it? No. 
And they must have asked, must have asked, why? Why didn't your God have you go through with sacrificing this son? If he asked you to do it, and, he, and then he says, don't, you know, stop. They must have been wondering, why? Why would God set him up for that? And then, not, and then Abraham could say what? The Lord will provide himself a sacrifice. And he could tell about how the Messiah was coming. The Savior for not just Abraham, but for the Savior for including the Canaanites. And then Abraham had a son, Isaac, and Isaac had two sons. And then God intervened there, and he said, these two sons are going to be different. What was different about them? What was the prediction? What was the God's plan? Well, the younger usually serves the older. The other way around, what is it? The older would give up the birthright and leadership of the family to the younger. What? What is with you, Abraham, and your family? You do everything upside down. Why would your God want the, the older to serve the younger and give up the birthright voluntarily? And if Esau had done it voluntarily, unfortunately he messed up God's plan. And Jacob had a hand in messing it up too. He wasn't without guilt. But if they had gone along with it, and if Esau willingly gave it up, what could they tell the Canaanites? Our God gives up his position in heaven to serve us as Savior. What kind of God is that? And they had 400 years to think about it. And then they saw, heard about Joseph. What happened to Joseph? A long story, but he ended up what? He's almost the head of the most powerful country of the world. Out of Abraham's family? God directing things. Do you suppose they heard about that? Of course they heard about it. We know from the story of Rahab that they heard about all the other things, so they heard about this i mean they didn't have tv in those days so they were listening to stories of people who traveled around it was fascinating and they had a lot to think about this god of israel he does things so differently he's so powerful but he's so unusual and so the years went by in egypt and the people in canaan are up there but instead of responding to worship this unusual, most powerful God, they went deeper into sin and deeper into sin. And they went so deep into sin that the archaeologists who have gone over and dug things up, they wouldn't even write it down what they could translate from the, from the tablets and things because it was so disgusting, so immoral, so horrible. 
I won't even tell you about some of the things I've learned about it because it, you don't want it in your head. And so God gave up on them. Oh, no, 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 no. Not quite. Because God chose a way of bringing his people of Israel out of Egypt in a way that not only was appealing to the hearts of the Egyptians, not only was encouraging the hearts of the Israelites, but the stories went all out about all the plagues and about the opening of the Red Sea. And they came up to Jericho and Canaan and the people knew about those things. How do we know that's true? Because Rahab told the spies, remember? The spies of Israel went in and they got in Jericho and they met up with Rahab and Rahab said, we are shaking in our boots because of you people. And your God is the God over all gods. She said it. They were all thinking. But they wouldn't accept it. Except she and her, uh, her and her family. They accepted it. So God was giving them opportunity after opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. And what did they do? They closed themselves up in Jericho and they said, not us. We will not yield. They refused to submit to the true God that gave them every evidence to believe. It sounds a lot like life before the flood, Noah's flood. What would it say about them? Their thoughts were only what? Were only evil all the time. And so God had the flood come. But what if God had not sent the flood? Does, does God just love to kill people? Sending floods to wipe out the whole world except just one little family? Why would he do it? Oh, wait a minute. Maybe the better question is why? Uh, what would have happened if he didn't send the flood? If their thoughts were only evil continually, what does evil, what does sin lead to? Destruction. How many people would have died if God didn't send the flood? Everybody, including Noah and his family, especially Noah and his family. God sent the flood to save humanity, not to destroy it. So God was wise and God was good at the flood. But we still might be able to say, can I say it? God loves to kill people with love and grace. Or with kindness, as we say. He loves to kill them with love and grace and make them into new creatures like his son. Galatians 2.20 I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer... I who live, it is Christ Jesus who lives within me. But why the Canaanites? Why there, those people? Well, again, God wanted to take Israel and use them not just to save Israel, but to save whom? The whole world. And God put them right at the crossroads of the world. 
Canaan was the crossroads of east to west and north to south. All the traders who would carry stories about things going on in other countries would go through there. It's like controlling all the cable TV stations of the world. God pointed his people right there. And so he sent Abraham there to prepare the people, give them an opportunity to respond so that they could be part of it. But they refused. And so he gave them the greatest opportunity, but they refused. Now, we can ask what would have happened if God didn't send the flood. Now we can ask the question, what would have happened if God didn't destroy the Canaanites and just brought the Israelites up to be neighbors? If, I mean, didn't kill the Canaanites, just to be neighbors. Well, if you've read the book of Judges, you would find out how that would work out. Because not all the Canaanites were destroyed by Israel, even though God gave the direction to do that, but they didn't do it, and so some were still around. And do you know what happened? The Israelites were led astray over and over and over again by these neighbors. And they went into slavery time after time, and God would get them out, and then they would go back in, and God would get them out, and they'd go back in. And it was a mess. So God was trying to save the one group of people who were listening to him and could learn about him and could share the truth about him and the salvation that he had with the whole world. He's trying to preserve them. He knew that these people in Canaan had gone so far into the depths of sin that they would have a great attraction of pulling Israelites into idolatry and immorality. So God was protecting them. And the future of Israel was in the balances. In fact, the history of humanity was in the balances. You were in the balance of what God would do with Canaan. Imagine life today if there was no Christianity at all in the whole world. Imagine that. No Christianity in the whole world at all. What would life be like for you? You were in the balances. Now suppose you were at the beach. You went down to Hampton Beach. You had your family down there and you're at the beach. And beautiful day. But the waves are in and one, one of your kids gets out and they're getting into the riptide and they're being pulled out and somebody's got to save them. You look over for the lifeguard to save them and there are some drunken young men over there preoccupying the, the lifeguard. In fact, even when the lifeguard sees that there's a need, they're, they're holding on to him and preventing him from saving your child. If a policeman was coming by, would you want the policeman to get involved? Yeah. Would you even want the policeman to use physical force if necessary to get those young men off the lifeguard? Yes. And if we go back to World War II, and if God enabled an assassin to kill Adolf Hitler to stop the Holocaust and all the other uh, tragic killing, would you think God wise and good? 
we say, oh, well, that's war. We live in a war zone. This whole world is a war zone. And terrible things have to happen in war. And hard things have to be done to save some. Much wisdom is needed to make those choices. Are we wiser than God in making such choices? Now what about the children of Jericho? It says the men and the women and children, young, old. What about those children? That's hard. That's a hard thing. But could it be that 400 years of stubborn rebellion repeated over and over, generation after generation, actually became part of the genes and there have been some studies that show the influence of the choices of parents not only on children but on grandchildren so that even the children of Jericho were incurable unable to yield to God's amazing grace if that were true what sense would be there to keep them alive keep them alive for more anger and violence and tragedy and suffering and death? And then we have to ask, what sense would it be for God to keep the lost people alive after the final judgment? God's goal is to have a universe free from sin, from rebellion, from evil, and from the, all the consequences from the death and the suffering and the pain and the loneliness and the agonies, the heartbreaking breaking things. He wants to have a universe without any of that, and that is a wonderful goal. But it costs. And it means God has to be in the business of killing people. And his preferred way is to kill them with kindness. So that's the first thing this morning. The second thing is briefer. The second thing is, but we don't like to be killed. We don't. Look at chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. But the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zedbi, the son of Zerah, and the tribe of Judah took of the accursed things. So the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth-Avon, on the east side of Bethel, and spoke to them, saying, Go up and spy out the country. So the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said, Do not let all the people go up, but let just two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not worry about all the people there, for the people of Ai are few. So about 3,000 men went up there from the people, but they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai struck down about 36 men, for they chased them from before the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them down on the descent. Therefore the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Achan took some of the things that were under the ban, which God had said were his. You see, God wanted Israel to be dead. 
He wanted Israel to be dead to the people and the animals and the gold and the silver and everything connected with the rebelliousness and stubbornness of Jericho. He didn't want them to enter into that spirit in one bit. To be his people, they must die themselves. Die to their wants, to their selfish motivations that they might be motivated by his great grace and his love toward them. Now that sounds nice in theory. But we don't like to die. So Achan took for himself certain objects, some gold, some silver, some beautiful garments. Achan took for himself some objects. And Joshua and the people took for themselves the credit for taking down Jericho. Because when it came to Ai, the little town besides them, where was the meeting with the Lord? No meeting with the Lord. Where was the seeking of God's plan? No seeking of God's plan. Where was the following the instructions of the Lord to attack? No seeking of any instruction. No faith. No obedience. It's just a little town. We don't need God. We can handle it. They took for themselves the victory at Jericho. And the success at Jericho became a trap to them. And even today, success is one of the greatest traps that we face. Success in our business, success at school, success in the home, even success in spiritual things. Because then we start thinking, oh, hey, I handled that pretty well. I must be pretty good. I can handle more. And we stop leaning on God and we start leaning on our own understanding. Because we don't like to die. We don't like being killed. If Joshua had sought the counsel of the Lord, he would have brought out the problem of Achan right away before they went up to, to attack Ai. The Lord would have brought it up and cleared it all up. And when they went up against Ai, would they have been defeated? Not at all. Would they have lost any lives? None. But they weren't trusting the Lord. They were taking the success for themselves. So God is the business of killing people. If he hasn't killed you yet, he's going to. We don't like being killed. And the third thing, is God fair? Or is God holy? Does love lead to fairness or to holiness? Look at chapter 7, verses 24 through 26. Then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the garment and the wedge of gold, his sons, his daughter, his oxen, his donkey, his sheep, his, his tent, and all that he had, 
And they brought them to the valley of Achor. The word Achor means trouble. And Joshua said, why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. So all Israel stoned him with stones, and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. Is that fair? Achan? And who with him? How many of his family? Whole family. Even their animals. Everything. Would God have killed innocent children? Along with this guilty, the father was guilty. Turn to Numbers chapter 16, which happened before Joshua. In fact, if you think about it, it happened while Joshua was alive. He was in the with the people of the uh, Israel out in the wilderness, where number, number 16 is telling about a story that happened there. It was a rebellion time. A rebellion when Korah, Dathan, and Abiram rebelled against the Lord. They didn't like the leadership God had chosen for Israel. They wanted to be the leaders. And so they rebelled. And God said, well, I'm going to deal with this in an unusual way. You're going to see that it's my hand directly doing it. So here we are. In Numbers chapter 16 and verses 23 and following. So the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the, the, to the congregation saying, Get away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Then Moses rose and went to Dathan and Abiram and the elders of Israel followed him and he spoke to the congregation saying, Depart now from the tents of these wicked men. Touch nothing of theirs. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Touch nothing of theirs, lest you be consumed in all their sins. So they gave away, they, they got away from around the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the tents of their, the door of their tents, and their wives, and their sons, and their little children. Then Moses said, By this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these words. If I have not done of them, that I have not done of them of my own will. If these men die naturally of all men, or if they are visited by the common fate of all men, then the Lord has not spoken through me or sent me. But if the Lord creates a new thing, and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them up with all the belongings, and they go down alive into the pit, then you will understand that these men have rejected the Lord, not just the leaders. Wow. So there they were. Dathan, Korah, Byram, and their families. And look what happened in verse 32. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households. And all the men with Korah with all their goods. What kind of a loving God could be so ruthless? with their families. But you might have missed something when we read this. You probably did. If you go now to chapter 26, hold your place here, but go to chapter 26, still in Numbers, chapter 26, and notice verses 10 and 11. 
And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up together with Korah when that company died, when the fire devoured 250 men and they became a sign. Nevertheless, the children of Korah did not die. The children of Korah did not die. You probably missed back in chapter 16 that when it mentions the families, it says the family of Dathan and the family of Abiram stood with those men at their tents of rebellion. But it doesn't say the family of Korah stayed with him at the tent. They were with the people that got away. They were the people that trusted the Lord. And they said, if God says not to stay here, we're not staying here. We're going over there. And the sons of Korah not only were preserved on that day and did not die, but if you go through the Psalms, you'll find various Psalms were written by the sons of Korah. God gave them the privilege of leading worship and writing part of the Bible. Psalm 86, I believe, is one of them. So the sons of Abiram and of Dathan, they stayed at the tents. They were joining in the rebellion of their fathers. And they were destroyed with their fathers. Now when we take this story back over to Joshua, and we find that Achan was destroyed with his family. First of all, when it says children, it doesn't mean little children only. It can mean children all the way up into their 20s, up to 30 years old. And since they were destroyed, and we know that God doesn't destroy innocent children, we know that they weren't innocent. They were joining their father Achan in hiding that and hoping to get rich when everything was over and all the, all the conquering of Canaan was done and they were able to then take out the riches and turn it into money and they would be rich. Apparently they were joining in on it. And notice in verse 25, back in Joshua chapter 7, verse 25, it says that they were stoned, that's Achan and his family, stoned and burned, just like the people of Jericho. Because what fell down on the people? The stone walls came down upon them. And the people were stoned by their own walls. And then what did the people of Israel do with the city after the, they conquered everybody? They burned everything. Everything except that which couldn't be burned, which is the silver and the gold. That they took to put in the Lord's house. He claimed it as his own so they wouldn't be tempted to be involved with it. You see, Achan and his family had partaken of the worship and the priorities of Jericho. Gold and silver and garments were more important than God. That's exactly the attitude of Jericho. They closed themselves up from God. And so Achan and his family got the same treatment as the people of Jericho. Which will be the same treatment in the final judgment. When God destroys all sin completely, all who choose sin, selfishness, more than God, 
meet the same fate as the sin. You see, God is holy, meaning He will destroy sin completely. And I'm glad He will. The question is, though, are you letting God destroy the old person in you, the old you that loves things more than God? Are you letting him destroy that with his kindness, with his grace, with his love? He'll do that for you if you surrender. Open the gates and invite him in. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we're involved in a world that is hard. There are awful things in a world of sin. Terrible things. So many heartaches. So many tragedies, difficulties. So many painful things. So many unfair things. And sin and Satan and death are out to destroy us. But we don't want to be destroyed by them. We want to be destroyed by you. We want to have our, our selfishness destroyed by your goodness, your amazing grace. And we're so thankful for the Sabbath that calls us away from the world and from the influences of the neighbors around that would, the, 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 the culture around us that would draw us away from you. And we get to have special time to be in your your presence that destroys sin, that destroys selfishness. And how, how we need that, Father. We talked in Sabbath school about cleansing. We need your cleansing. And we're thankful that you do it so carefully, so thoughtfully, so patiently, so thoroughly. Have your way with us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We turn to our hymnal number 530. It is well with my soul. Let's sing the first and second verses this morning. First and second verses number 530.
Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be glory and honor forever and ever. Amen.